You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey, and thank you for joining another episode of Future Proof Workplace. And Morag is uh, not available to take uh, the show today, so you've got just me. Uh, She'll be doing some coming up. Um, You know, as I was reflecting on this show, I was reflecting on women in leadership, and I was thinking to myself how women have the role of women in the workplace has really changed and it's been slow and it's been kind of a a slog, but it seems like something is in the air. Something is in the wind. And, you know, we have many more women speaking out, not tolerating being treated as second class citizens, not tolerating the kind of comments uh, the Me Too movement, the kinds of things that when that all started, so many women my age started thinking back on their career journeys and said, boy, I remember when this happened and boy, I remember when that happened. And I think, you know, women are no longer allowing, you know, little passing client comments that are really sexist and really are designed to in many ways, um, keep people in their place. And, you know, I think it's a good thing. I don't know exactly where all of this is going to end up, but I do think it's a good thing. And, you know, I don't know if many of you watch The Crown, which is on uh, Netflix, but even today we find out that the woman who plays Queen Elizabeth was paid $4 million less than the man that played Prince Philip. And this is 2018. It's kind of hard to believe. And companies like Uber are still getting sexual harassment charges. And they're a new company. They just started three years ago. So something is definitely changing in the world. And I I just was in the Middle East. I go there fairly frequently. And even there, You know, as small as this may seem to places like ours or countries like ours where women have a lot of rights, women are finally getting the right to drive in the Saudi Arabia, in Saudi Arabia. And women are finally getting uh, on the board of Saudi Aramco, albeit an American woman, a very successful American woman, but they are putting women on the board. And that's starting to happen worldwide and people are stepping back and reflecting and I think the world is going to change I think it's going to be a better place and we have a lot more women running for political office than we ever had before and I'm really excited about that which is one of the reasons why I invited Linda Patent to the show Linda's been someone who's championing women in leadership for lots and lots of years. She's founder of Dare to Lead with Linda, an international speaker and best-selling author. She's a talk show host like I am. She worked uh, at 
works at or currently has her show on Voice America Women's Channel. And she's a, a leading expert, coach, and trainer. Her life's work is challenging women to dare to lead, whether it's navigating the often daunting entrepreneurial world, building strong teams for a thriving business, stepping out of the shadows uh, into the light as a leader of one's life. And I do think a lot of women, you know, we tolerated a lot of stuff because we thought we had to, and you really don't have to. So with that, let me welcome Linda Patton. Linda, I'm so glad it was very hard for us to get connected to this show. (laughs) We had a harder time than a lot of other people, but I'm very glad we got connected and I'm very glad to have you on the show. I am so honored to be here, Linda. Um, it's I've been looking forward to it for a couple of months, as a matter of fact. Yeah, me too. Well, and you know, you're uh, I was a former Californian, and uh, you know, you're still living out in California. Next time I'm out there, we have to we have to spend a little time and compare notes. That would be awesome. I'm also going to the Midwest this summer. I'm spending some time in Columbus, Ohio. Nice. What are you going there for? Um, to see my two daughters. Uh, one lives in Columbus. The other's moving to Indianapolis. So they're about two and a half hours apart. And I'm actually filming uh, two radio shows, mine and uh, Maureen Medcalf. So we're we're trading recording, just like you and I are. Right. Great. That's yeah. fabulous. So let's jump right in. Um, your background is both military and corporate, where command is the norm. What did it take to move from command to influence, influential leadership? And that's a, that's a, a, because I think command and control leadership is really the, was the 20th century prevailing leadership style. And I think for the 21st century, it absolutely has to change. Yeah, I, I so agree with you on that. Um, you know, the military is all about command and control. Um, you brook no discussion after, you know, once you get into combat, there's no real discussion about how you're going to do things. Um, you do that beforehand, you do that after, but not when you're in battle. And so we got, you get really used to telling people what to do and expecting them to do it. I'll, I'll give you an example. My new book is called No One Stood Up When I Walked walked in the room, one woman's journey from command to true leadership. And that's what I expected. I I retired as a major, so a senior officer. And unless there was somebody who outranked me, I walked in a room, everybody stood up. And they stayed standing until you told them to sit down. So you you you, you get out of the military and you also develop a command voice. I still say, I think I can talk, I can shout an order uh, across a parade field. And everyone will hear me. I bet you can, actually. <laughs> so, I mean, those are the kinds of things that that I I grew up with. You know, my my early years uh, as as a uh, working adult, and then I went into into business, and there still was this sense of I have positional power. I was a VP um, of a couple of different banks, and the sense was, I am your boss. I will tell you what to do and you will do it. Well, you get into the entrepreneurial world and it doesn't cut it. You've got independent contractors. And even if you have employees, there's still this sense of at will, uh, you know, if I don't like this, I'm out of here. And so I learned how to move from telling to asking and to really use influence to 
move my my organization, my people in a direction that we wanted to go. Yeah. So so Linda, tell me tell me about your journey to a major. I mean, that was a pretty significant rank that you made for, I bet you there were very few, I bet you there still are very few women who are majors. It's funny because as I look at the lists, I kind of go, gee, there are more, there are more than there used to be. Um, And I, and I think a lot, yeah, I think a lot of that has to do too with them opening up the combat positions. So you're seeing more women in those kinds of roles. Uh, When I went in, uh, there were all sorts of interesting things. You couldn't be married. You couldn't get pregnant. Uh, you know, and so the women that I looked up to and who were my role models for the most part were um, gay. It was if you wanted to have a career in the military and you were female, knowing what you couldn't do, it was okay. If I want to have a loving relationship and a long-term relationship, I'm uh, I'm going to work with women because that's that's who's around me. I, I have to tell you, my husband was one of five single male officers on a post of five thousand women. Wow! And, and we sell. Why was the post five thousand women? Um, it was the the home of the Women's Army Corps. It was Fort McClellan, oh. Alabama, and so every other tour, you went back to Fort McClellan. At the time, we were growing the Women's uh, Corps. We we doubled the core in the space of a year and a half um, because they wanted more women in the core. I moved. I actually moved fairly fast through the ranks. I outranked my husband, uh, and always have, uh, and now always will since yeah. uh, <laughs> since he he got out and I retired. Um, but I I actually went into a women's. Um, section. I mean, I, I was HR, I was admin. Uh, and so being in that area, it was very, very common. Uh, at that time, women weren't engineers or anything along those lines. We, we expanded the military occupational specialties that women could be in while I was in uh, the military. But um, what I found interesting was that um, when when I was in the reserves, I I I was on the majors list and at that time, and I kept getting calls from reserve units to say, "Ma'am, we'd really like you to to come on board as the assistant S one." And and I said, "Okay." Um, and who's going to be the S one? Who's going to have that HR administrative role? Oh, we're going to bring in a major um, from the combat arms. And I said, "Excuse me." So I'm going to do all the work, and he's going to get all the credit. And by the way, I'm on the major list, and within the next month or so, I'm going to be a major, so I'm going to be misslotted anyway. I said, no, thank you. I won't do that. But that that was the um, the dirigere. That was the way it was done, was that the men oftentimes took roles that were not in their specialty. They relied on women who took the subordinate role and took the credit for all the work that they did. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, just hearing that makes my sort of skin crawl because, you know, we tolerated that. Oh yeah. And, and you know, the fact that you're saying that many of the women uh, were in gay relationships or were gay who made it to the top, you know, there isn't a man who gets asked, you know, or, or required to, to can't get married and who's, wife can't have children but if you're a woman you can't get married i mean that that's wow 
Yeah. Now that has changed, obviously. Oh, um, no, that, yeah. But still, it's yeah. an example of, of the kind of discrimination that, that women have experienced throughout mm-hmm. their professional lives. Exactly. Wow. So, so tell me, um, how, what got you to writing? I love the title of this book, <laughs> The Art of Herding Cats, Leading Teams of Leaders. Tell me about that. Okay. Uh, I spent a fair amount of time in and out of network marketing organizations like Amway, GIA, Zija, um, you know, that kind of thing. And and it really distressed me that women weren't leading in that. I mean, the bulk of the individuals who are selling, uh, promoting networking in that industry are women, although a good number of the organizations are run by men. So it, it becomes a very interesting um, split as to how things are done. And I, th- I thought we should do a better job of retention that it was great that we had to go out and and recruit and everything that we were taught was about recruiting and you know the new promotion to recruit and all and duplicate to recruit all of that and it's like well if we retained we wouldn't have to recruit as many we'd have a, a more stable uh, unit and part of that was we needed to step into leadership and what I got well there's several things I got but uh, one of the key things was we don't know how. We don't know what it takes. We don't know what the steps are. And I don't have a manual to do this. And one of the things I, I, I said to them is, well, did you get a manual when you got married? Yeah. Did you get a manual when you had your first child? Yeah. Did you make mistakes? Because they were, they were all concerned about making mistakes and that they'll ruin somebody's life. And I said, well, did you make a mistake in your marriage? Yeah. Um, have you ever made a mistake with one of your kids? Well, did you? Did you ruin them? (laughs) You know, for the most part, the answer is no. So it started with that. It was, I wanted to teach network marketing leaders the 12 skills that I felt were important and necessary to be a true leader in the network marketing industry. And that you couldn't manage independent contractors. You had to lead them. And yet it's very interesting what I discovered having done that is that one, the network marketing companies don't necessarily want you to step into a leadership role because they're really concerned that you're going to walk away with your team. Two, they treat you like employees, even though you're independent contractors. You're told what to sell, when to sell it, how much it's going to be, what the promotions are, what the discounts are. All of it is their model. It's not that you can create your own model. It's no, you need to follow this model if you want to be successful. And the key, the real clinker was where they get paid. Yes, they get paid on on retention and and long-term nurturing kinds of stuff. But where they get their biggest hit is that first order. You get a first order bonus that's that's pretty good size compared to what you get on on a regular monthly basis for retention. So they're looking at me like, why do I want to retain? I want to keep recruiting because I get the bigger bucks in recruitment rather yeah. than retention. So the book was written and and the examples in it are primarily network marketing, but I found that there were so many other women who said the same things. Um, you know, I, I, 
I don't want to step out, step up, or step into leadership. I don't want to own it. I'm afraid I'll make a mistake. I don't know how to do it. I need to know 100% of everything I need to do as a leader before I step into it. Uh, you know, all of that. And so the book still has uh, great value, even if uh, the examples are all around network marketing. Yeah. Well, it sounds like they do, really. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you this. You're known as a leadership expert to the reluctant leader. What yeah. was your journey that caused you to recognize you were a leader? And I realize you made it to vice president of banks, and, and but, but what, what was in you that caused you to recognize you had that leadership capability? Well, I have to tell you that even though I was a major and even though I was a vice president, I didn't see myself as a leader. Um, I was just I was just doing my job. You know, I, I ran a four star general around and uh, in the military and I still couldn't see that as leadership. I helped him change his mind about chef salads and eating something more more healthy uh, and that, that kind of thing. But it was like, no, that's just my job. I don't see myself leading. And it really wasn't until I was in a workshop uh, and I, I had this woman come up to me after this exercise and she looked at me and she goes, you know, I, I expected you to lead us in that exercise. It's what I expect of you that I really sat down and looked at where my life had been and the fact that I totally did not acknowledge the fact that I was a leader. Um, I wanted, My clients were always the ones that were on in front of the stage, not me. I hid behind a curtain. I hid behind my general uh, and, and that kind of thing and didn't ever see it as being a leader. And after that, I started looking back at all the things that I did, which is partly where the 12 steps came from as well, and went, you know, I bet there are other women who are having the same challenge of not wanting to step into that. And a a lot of times, Linda, too, we look at the women leaders that we do have, and many of them emulate the models that they see, which are the men. And it's a much more command uh, kind of telling people what to do and to be honest with you, the men don't like women like that because they don't understand them. And right. the women look at them and go, I don't want to be that right. leader. Okay. Yep. Uh, and, and, and so they don't want to step into it because that's their role model as well. So I wanted to create role models that were influential, not commanding. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So why do you think you shied away? You you personally shied away from those leadership roles and didn't see yourself as a leader. There were a lot of reasons, some of which come from my childhood. Um, I, I love talking about childhood wounds. Uh, my grandmother, when I was four, I love to say my my first public presentation was when I was four. Uh, I had a a piece to do for a Christmas pageant. We were in an improv uh, acting group and I'd memorized it. I knew it backwards and forwards and I get up on stage and I get to the last two lines and I've lost it. And I sort of looked at my prompter who was my director and she gave me the first two words and I finished it beautifully. Everybody stood up, round of applause. I get backstage. My mom's give me hugs. You know, you did great. It was wonderful. And my grandmother's standing about three feet away and I'm going, grandma, how'd I do? And she goes, you know, you should never stand up in front of groups of people and talk. You're just not really very good at it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so that, car- 
Yeah. yeah, that carried me forward quite a bit, as well as, you know, some stories that my mom told me about, you know, having friends and building walls and all this other stuff. So I really cut myself off from um, leadership in the fact that if what I felt was it, I was siloed, that if I just did my job and I did it well, um, I'd be left alone. And that, uh, you know, I wasn't very good with people. I was an only child of older parents and really didn't feel like I had a role model as to what, how to be a kid um, and how to lead, you know, things like the neighborhood softball team, all of that. Every, it, it appeared that every time I stepped into leadership, I got shot down in one way or another. So I basically shunted that off and said, nope, that's not me. I'll just be an outstanding worker and people will just recognize that. It's sort of becoming the indispensable secretary kind of thing. So how did you break through that, Linda? Because, you know, I I had another guest and we were talking about the role of subliminal messages and bias and and how that really shapes anybody Mm -hmm. and how they, they sort of view their life and their vision of themselves. How did you break through that? Um, Really, it was a a sense of looking at what was I, I I have a fabulous coach who has helped me with this. You know, what were you craving? What were the things that you told yourself to be safe? And having been able to identify those and to really look at, at them and recognize what they were, which were gifts actually, um, that helped me to be a stronger woman and to be able to step into that. And I basically said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. Um, you've done it all your life. You just don't own it. And that, you know, now at, at a more senior age to be able to say, heck yeah, I, I am a leader and I accept that. And I will train anyone. I will support anyone who says I can't, but I want to, how do I do that? Yeah. Linda, we are that 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 is really great insight. And we're at break. Um, So when we come back, we're talking to Linda Patton, who is a leading expert on uh, uh, women and an international speaker, bestselling author and uh, really an inspiration for women in in organizations. So stay with us More, more to discuss. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Okay, everybody. Well, I don't know what happened there. I guess we could not hear uh, could not hear the break, but we're back. And uh, thank you, everybody, for, for hanging in. We're talking to Linda Barrett, who is really a leading expert, coach, and trainer, and has done some phenomenal work with women in leadership and helping them dare to lead. And we were talking about her 12-step program and where she starts. And I, I guess I, I'd like to explore, because we were just getting into it, Linda, mm-hmm. uh, defining what leadership is first, is your first step in, in your 12-step program. 
How do you help people define leadership and how do you define it? Well, one of the, one of the, I use a lot of quotes. I, I love using quotes especially. So if, if you were to look up leadership in the dictionary, it's defined as the position or function of a leader. Don't you love that? Um, a person who yeah, a person who guides or directs a group, but the, to me that isn't really very helpful. Uh, I love uh, President Dwight David Eisenhower, who was also a f- uh, five-star general in World War II. He said, "Leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something that you want done because he wants to do it, or she, yeah, or she, yeah." Um, and I, I just think that's one of the really key things. Um, John Maxwell says leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And that's why I, I, I work with influential leadership because that's what you what you need. That's one of the key skills that you have to have. The ability to be curious, to ask questions, not just tell people what to do. And it goes along also with, you know, what are their visions? What do they want to see happen? How can you align that with what you're doing? Um Steve Jobs said, no, it wasn't, I'm sorry, Bill Gates said um, at the end of uh, the 1900s, doesn't that sound weird, Um, that in the next century, meaning this century, that leaders would be those who empowered others. And so we're beginning to see more and more leaders empowering their people to take action, to take responsibility, to gather authority. And really be able to make things happen. And I think that's also um, very, very, very important um, when you talk about leadership and how it's defined and, and why it's important. Yeah. And and so that's that's your, your kind of first step is defining leadership. And then you talked about the second step is creating a vision. So tell us more about that and then take us through the 12 steps. Okay. Um, creating vision is, to me, the number one. I, mean, I go back to this constantly. Um, you know, I'll stand up in front of groups of people and, and um, you know, be, be te- doing a presentation. And one of the things I always ask them is, okay, you know, it's, it's like the middle of the year. Um, how many of you are on track to meet your, your goal, your vision for the end of the year? And I have been in groups where I've had two people raise their hand. Uh, and I go, okay, so let me ask you the, the first question then is, how many of you have a vision of what it's going to look like at the end of the year? And inevitably, it's only those two people who raise their hand. And I'm going, how do you know where you're going if you don't have an end point? Um, I, I talk about vision in terms of if you went on a road trip and you didn't have an end point, like where are you going to end up? How would you know whether you got there or not? whether you're on the right road, whether you're taking the right steps. And so vision to me is just, it's just the huge piece. If you don't do that, it's sort of like none of the other steps really make any sense. Um, And I write a vision letter uh, at, you know, as far as what will December 31st, 2018, what will I see? What will I hear? What will I taste, smell, touch, and feel? at the end of the year. Um, And this started for me, again, we'll go back to network marketing. Um, I got the opportunity to win a cruise to Alaska and Alaska has been on my travel uh, wish list for a long time. So I knew exactly what I needed to do. I knew how many sales I had to have and all that. And, you know, we, we got the the balcony, balcony upgrade first and then the cruise and then the uh, cruise cash. Well, I did make it all, but 
uh, the things that I had, I had a picture of the boat um, and the icebergs everywhere. It was my screensaver. It was on my mirror. It was everywhere. I found a song from John Denver called Alaska and Me that was on every device that I had. Yeah. Uh, when we opened the door, you could hear it. Um, taste and smell. I love salmon, but that's that's a little rarer for me to find. But I knew I could find ice cubes and ice. So I'd open yeah. my refrigerator and smell the ice and take an ice cube to taste it. And, yeah. and, and all of that. And yes, I got it because yeah. I was that focused. Yeah, that's really great. I, I love that. So so give me the other key ones. I don't okay. have time to go through all 12, but let's, let's you know, hit, hit well, the high, Linda. Um, well, of course, coming out of vision, you have to clarify what your goals are. In other words, what are the milestones? What are the things that you have to make happen in right. order to reach that goal. So if you're thinking of it in terms of a car trip, it's like, what cities are you going to stop in on the way to where you're going? Um, it's being creative in your approach. And this has to do with uh, weather, what I call weathering the storm. What are all the things that could possibly go wrong that you might be able to prevent? Or if you can't prevent, at least reduce the risk if it does happen. And we know that things are going to happen. Um, inspire your team, Building deeper relationships. In in this world where our relationships tend to be superficial and on digital, to have a face-to-face -face conversation and to have somebody remember what they what you discussed the last time and ask questions about it. So how's your daughter? How's your uh, husband? How you said you were going on this trip. How was it? But knowing your people. Strengthening communications, becoming a change agent. It's one of the things that you have to do is um, you're, you're invoking change as a leader. Um, how do you use your team to the best of its ability? So when you hire or you bring on people, making sure that they compliment you, that they aren't like you. And that's a very interesting concept. Systems and procedures, you got to have them. Um, being driven yourself to achieve because your people only do half of what you do. And last of all, celebrate. Yeah, that's a big one. And most people don't really want to do that or, or forget to do that. They're off on the, on the next thing. You know, I love what you said is, is it's kind of making it personal, mm -hmm. really engaging with people on a personal level. And I think, you know, as we get more and more global and get more and more digitized, that personal connection and relationship building is going to be absolutely essential. And how do you keep people, Linda, from not hiring or surrounding themselves with people like themselves? Because, you know, the brain is wired to be comfortable <laughs> uh, with people that are like uh, ourselves for safety. They definitely are. And it's safe to hire someone who's like you. The yeah. bad news is you're you're then fighting constantly as to who's going to do the work. And 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 that doesn't serve either one of you. So what I always say is and I used to do this with um uh, professional associations when I'd work with the boards of directors, I'd say write everything down that you have to do. You know, everything in that job title that, you know, is part of your responsibility. And then I said cross out all the things that you like to do in that job description. What are the things that you love to do that you, you wouldn't want anybody to take away from you ever? And what's left, you give to me because I'm really good at all those things that you don't like to do. 
And they all breathed a huge sigh of relief of, you mean I don't have to do all this, you know, administrative stuff? I go, absolutely not. That's what I'm good at. That's what my job is. And I will take care of it for you. And we had such fantastically successful boards of directors because of that. So it, I say the same thing about, you know, your position as an entrepreneur. What are the things you love to do? I find it always amusing when, especially people in the in the trades, decide, ah, I can be out on my own. I can do it. I can get paid better and all that. And what they don't realize is all the administrative stuff they have to do. You know, they have to do the, the marketing, the financials, you know, all of that. And it's like, ooh. I don't like any of that. And I didn't expect to be working actually more hours than I did when I was working for the man. So I say hire than somebody who can take that off your plate. And you do what you're best at and they do what they're best at and you'll have a fantastic company. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. So Linda, we're coming up on another break, but when we come back, I'd like to explore more. You have a new book coming out. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit and, and what women in particular can glean from this and uh, going forward. So stay with us. We're talking to Linda Patent, a leading expert, author, coach, uh, who's having big impact on women and women in the workplace, particularly entrepreneurs. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Hi, welcome back. Thank you for joining us and so glad to have you stay with us. Um, I'm talking to Linda Patton, who is really just an outstanding uh, author, speaker, coach, and really focuses on women and leadership. And she's got a new book coming out. Uh, is it out? I'm not sure, but um, I know in conversations that we've had that you're taking another aspect of leadership, which shows in your new title of transformational leadership for movement makers. You know, tell me a little bit about why it's so important for women leaders today and where you're going with this, Linda. Well, Linda, I think you actually started the um, the segment with, you know, women need to step into the change of the world. Um, yeah. You know, you're, we're seeing more women run for political office. Uh, there's like 600 more applications than ever before. Midterm yeah. elections will really tell what will happen in the general election in two years. Um, we're seeing m- more advocacy. We've got, you know, um, challenges around abuse and the whole Me Too, the women's movement, even though I have some challenges with that. Um, but we're beginning to step out, almost put our toe out. Um, I, I, I'm old enough to remember the 60s and 70s and, and all the women's marches and everything else. And you know, it's, it's sort of, I, I'm expecting that same kind of energy and not seeing it. And I think that if we really want to see change in our, especially our political arena, we have to step out this yeah. year and step into that movement. Yeah, 
I, I, you know, Linda, I totally think so too. I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really heartened. I'm saddened to see that all these things really went on. And, you know, actually I was harassed in the workplace Mm -hmm. and I was told when I was starting my career, you know, oh, well, we don't promote women. We don't let women travel with men. Um, you know, quote unquote, you're just gonna, you know, go, go home and have babies after, you know, your husband gets out of law school or whatever it is. And, (laughs) And, um, you know, it was really like, I, I, I was, well, wait, I went to college. I've got a master's degree and, you know, I have different vision for myself. And, um, I became really a bit of a, uh, uh, I, I actually went to work for the public employee union and I learned mm. a lot through that about, you know, how, how women were so boldly discriminated against. Well, uh, my my first job interview after I got out of the military was with a, a company in, in outside of Dallas, Texas, and um, he hired me. Literally, you know, he, we had the conversation. He hired me. He said, "Now I need to get just a little bit of personal information, you know, for HR." And and he starts asking me questions. And he said, "So you're not married, right?" And I go, "I'm engaged." And he yeah. tore up the paperwork. <gasps> I went. Wow. I went excuse me? He goes, well, you're going to be a married woman and you won't be mobile. And I went, "Um, you are the one who was just telling me how family focused this business is. So what you're saying is it's family focused for the men, but not for the women. So you want single women and married men. He goes, that's right. That's exactly what we want. Thank you so very much. And goodbye. Wow. Yeah. Um, All the time, Linda. And you know, honestly, nothing that blatant, uh, I don't think happens anymore but um and you know the new generation coming up the the young women that we've all raised are just not going to tolerate that stuff that's true although we still hear um about sexual abuse uh, yeah. in in i want i'm going to say it male dominated uh workforce so yeah. first responders the military that kind of thing and it is sad, and and what's I think is even sadder, at least for the women uh, military, is they come out and they go to the VA because they've got PTSD because of whatever happened to them, um, you know, in in their military career, and have the VA say to them, "I'm sorry, our resources aren't such that we can treat you. This wasn't a battlefield PTSD." Wow. Yeah, and I, I I do think that 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 has to change, that yeah. it shouldn't matter where it comes from. If the if the individual has it, it should be treated. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, I was I'm wondering, um, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I I do uh, think that this goes back to culture and mm-hmm. respect in the workplace, and you know, I do think, and I've I've spoken about this all over the place. I was head of diversity for a number of companies and, um, you know, you still see the top of the house is primarily male and large part, primarily white male. And those days are changing, but it's hard fought and it's a real slog to make that change for people. So, you know, what do you see as, as for women and what advice can you give for women for having some fire in the belly for a piece of global change? And, you know, what, what do they need to do to claim those? And I, I know we talked about your 12 steps, but, 
you know, how do you get that fire in the belly and make it work for you and be who you are and live the life you want to live? Well, Linda, uh, I'd like to say you, you should join my program uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, because one of the things I'm, I'm talking about is exactly that. How do I take this thing that I, I know needs to be changed and I need to step into it? How do I, how do I get it started? How do I get people? Um, how do I create electric connections to the allies that they need? How do I preach my movement? How do I establish, you know, how do I grow it? How do I make it happen? And it it starts with a vision, knowing yeah. what that vision is. It's almost like, um, do you remember you remember the AIDS quilt and and how that grew yeah. from yeah. just a little piece? In in essence, I, I look at these movements as one of two things: either we're planting seeds and to make them grow, and then to expand that forest until we 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 have this gigantic forest, or the pebble in the in the pond. You throw that pebble in, and, and it ripples out. But you have to start somewhere. Right. I also quilt, and so I look at that AIDS quilt, and I look at global change as a quilt as well. And it's a patchwork of many different movements that all together make a beautiful world that we want to live in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, let's go back to the leadership thing. You know, many people and a lot of research is out there, which I'm sure you're aware of, that are, they're saying in the 21st century, and we talked a little of the command and control, mm-hmm. that the 21st century women are the ones who are going to be the leaders of the 21st century. And the reason is, is because they embrace and embody the leadership skills that all of the gurus and researchers are saying are required for success. Empathy, caring, patience, um, making things personal, being strategic, actually. Mm-hmm. And so what do you see as the most important skill for true leaders to know and use with their tribe? Well, I think a lot of what you spoke about, that the, again, that's building those really deep relationships and using our feminine qualities to create those relationships and really collaborate, cooperate, and be creative about what we do and how we do it. There was a book um, that came out a while ago called The Athena Doctrine, okay. and it's it's how women will change the world um, and with a few good men. And, and I loved the looking at the these are the women's, these are the feminine qualities. Here are the masculine qualities. And the masculine qualities are the ones who have gotten us to where we are today. And a lot of it comes out of that more warlike um, yeah. world that, that we lived in when, you know, the hunter kind of role. And we are more on the gatherer side uh, yeah. with more wisdom and, and that kind of thing. We we need to step up and own it and not be, uh, not feel uh, diminished by the bravado of the men. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I love what you just said. We are moving into a different era Mm -hmm. where hopefully war is going to be less. Um, Maybe even robots uh, conducting ground combat. Um, You know, and I've I've read a lot about that, actually, and and drones, etc. If we even have war, which, of course, we're still in the throes of numbers of them, but... um, that the world is shifting, hopefully, for the better to build human capability, and the leadership skills need to shift with that. Exactly. Although, Linda, I will tell you that steward, uh, uh, steward, and and uh, 
uh, other types of leadership have always been the best leaders in the world. You know, people that cared about other people, not themselves so much and did not see themselves as a center of leadership, but saw themselves as helping others do mm-hmm. great things. The servant leadership has always been for thousands of years, the model that got the most success, but it's the least followed. The, the whole servant leadership um, movement. Yes, absolutely. Looking at um, how we, how we in essence empower other people to have their vision to move forward. That's the kind of leadership that we need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think women embody that. So quickly, we have three minutes to the end of the show, but so what are the the key insights and that you want our listeners to take away from today's show? Well, I I think uh, it's repeating some stuff that we've talked about, but definitely vision. You've got to have that full and complete vision of where you're going, what you're doing, or you can't lead anyone else. Think about Steve Jobs and the kind of visionary leader that he was. You may not have liked him as a person, but that man knew where he was taking that company and and brought people with them. Uh, Developing those electric, what I call electric connections with your allies, building deep relationships with them uh, is absolutely critical. And last of all, make sure you got a plan. Yeah. And that's the hard part. Make sure you have a plan and follow it. You know, you were talking about, I I have done for a very long time with my husband, um, every year at the end of the year, we look back and look forward and say, what what did we, what did our year look like similar to you? And then Mm -hmm. what do we, what do we want the next year to look like? And, you know, it's such an, it's such an enriching experience. I think it's a wonderful skill for people to put into their life practice because it does help guide you Mm -hmm. and it does help uh, lead you in a, in a, in a certain direction. So Linda, how do people get a hold of you? Um, They can send me an email at Linda at dare, the number two lead with Linda.com. That's probably the best way. Um, There's also the website, which is www.dare.com. Again, the number two, leadwithlinda.com. And I will be happy to have uh, an extended conversation with you about leadership and where you change, where you sit in the change of the world that's happening now. Yeah, I love that. So uh, one final question for you. When uh, is your book out or when where can people get copies of it or when is it coming out? Tell us about that. The book will probably be out in 2019. Uh, We're in the, yeah, well, we're, we're in the process of, uh, it's my story along with teachings around leadership um, and then the success stories of the people that I've worked with. And so it's, um, it's in edit as we speak, but it probably will not be until the early part of 19. Well, we have something to look forward to. Are you going to be communicating with people about the progress of the book and all of that? Absolutely. And it's called No One Stood Up When I Walked in the Room, One Woman's Journey from Command to True Leadership. Right. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, Linda, thank you so much for being on the show. It was very inspiring. And, and, uh, you know, I think think the the world of women is finally – finally coming to fruition. And I I think we're going to see more and more powerful women in the world uh, taking stands and doing some additionally important things like we have done in the past, but there are going to be more of us and And, more opportunity. And more visible. 
and much more visible. Absolutely. So thank you again, Linda. It was a pleasure. And uh, I'll see you next time I'm on the West Coast. Absolutely. And it was a pl- it was an honor to be on your show, Linda. Thank you for asking me. Thanks to our listeners for sticking with Future Proof Workplace. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.